Hello everyone and welcome to the Warby Parker fourth quarter and fiscal year financial results conference call. My name is Victoria and I will be calling into call today. If you would like to ask a question during the presentation, you may do so by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you wish to withdraw your question, please press star 2. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure that your line is unmuted locally. I'll now pass over to your host, Tina Raimani, Head of Investor Relations to begin. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Here with me today are Neil Blumenthal and Dean Tobella, our co-founders and co-CEOs, alongside Steve Miller, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, we have a couple of reminders. Our earnings release and slide presentation are available on our website at investors.wolleyparker.com. During this call and in our presentation, we will be making comments of a forward-looking nature. Actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied as a result of various risks and uncertainties. For more information about some of these risks, please review the company's SEC filings, including the section titled Risk Factors, in the company's latest 10Q filing and the upcoming 10K filing. These forward-looking statements are based on information as of March 17, 2022, and we assume no obligation to publicly update or revise our forward-looking statements. Additionally, we will be discussing certain non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures are in addition to and not a substitute for measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation of these items for the nearest year's GAAP measure can be found in this morning's press release and our slide deck available on our IR website. With that, it's my pleasure to turn the call over to Dave to kick off. Thanks, Tina, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us bright and early to discuss Warby Parker's fourth quarter and full year 2021 results, as well as our outlook for 2022 and beyond. Before we dive in, we wanted to use this public forum to thank our Buy a Pair, Give a Pair partners and congratulate our team on surpassing 10 million pairs of glasses distributed to people in need through our Buy a Pair, Give a Pair program. That means more than 10 million people now have the glasses they need to see to learn, to work, and to provide for their families. We're incredibly proud of the impact our team and partners are having, and we couldn't be more grateful to our customers and shareholders for making it possible. This impact is hugely motivating for our team and enables us to attract and retain the most passionate, curious, driven employees who wake up every day obsessed with delighting customers and helping people see, and who in turn enable us to deliver strong financial results. And now turning to those results, 2021 was a record year for Warby Parker, and we're proud that our team delivered another year of sustainable growth. We grew revenue 37% to $541 million, while expanding adjusted EBITDA margin 270 basis points to 4.6%, up from 1.9% in 2020. This was achieved while delivering exceptional customer experiences, resulting in another year with a net promoter score above 80 while also making significant strides against our long-term strategic initiatives that will lead to sustainable growth for years and decades to come. We achieved these results in spite of many pandemic-related challenges, and in particular in Q4 when we saw significant impairment during our peak selling season. Team Morby, thank you for your continued perseverance and resilience. As we look back on 2021, it was incredibly exciting to celebrate so many milestones alongside Team Warby. In addition to the 10 million pairs distributed, we became the first public benefit corporation to go public through a direct listing. 
We grew our active customer base by nearly 400,000 people, the most ever in a year, to 2.2 million happy customers. We opened 35 new stores, the most we've ever opened in a year, ending 2021 with 161 stores. And the performance of these 35 new stores are in line with the first year performance of stores we launched pre-COVID. As you may recall, in our S1, we discussed best-in-class unit economics targeting four-wall margins of 35% and paybacks in under 20 months. In 2021, we opened stores in nine new markets, from Sarasota, Florida, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Richmond, Virginia, and we continue to see a very consistent growth profile when entering new markets, with the entire market growing over 250% on average in the first year of opening a new store. We expanded our product assortment by launching 21 eyewear collections and introduced innovative first-to-market designs and constructions like our tortoise collage and eshi editions, while also increasing our penetration of progressive lenses. And we made meaningful progress in our evolution from being primarily an eyewear company to a holistic vision care provider. We more than doubled the size of our contact business and opened 36 new eyes locations while hiring dozens of optometrists. We opened our second optical lab, a 69,000 square foot facility in Las Vegas that further strengthens the vertically integrated supply chain we've built over the years and enables us to maintain the highest quality standards, exceed customer expectations, and lower costs. We also continue to focus on innovation in our category-leading e-commerce experience and digital tools. In 2021, we launched groundbreaking technologies like our virtual vision test telehealth app which allows eligible users to renew both glasses and contact lens prescriptions from anywhere at any time using just an iPhone in less than 10 minutes. And the continued adoption of our first of its kind, true-to-scale virtual try-on. As I mentioned, we accomplished all these milestones while maintaining an industry-leading net promoter score of more than 80. Maintaining this metric is Team Warby's North Star and has been since day one. It ensures we're continuing to deliver above and beyond products and experiences for our customers, which in turn fuels our growth. And those happy customers are spending more with us than ever. Our average revenue per customer for the year was $246, up $28 or 13% versus 2020, the largest increase we've ever seen in our 12 years since launch. That increase hasn't come from raising prices. It's come from two factors. First, more of our customers buying multiple categories of products from us. For example, eye exams and contacts in addition to glasses. And second, an increase in the penetration of progressive lenses and higher price point frames. As a reminder, progressives are our highest price point and highest margin product, and this remains an area where we are significantly underpenetrated relative to the rest of the market. We launched selling prescription glasses for $95, and we have not changed this price point in the 12 plus years since launch. But over the years, we have introduced many other products at different price points that have led to increasing average order value and improving customer economics over time. And as we have introduced these new price points, we have not seen them impact demand. We know there's a lot of talk about inflation, and you're seeing many companies increase prices some because their margins are getting squeezed and some opportunistically at the expense of their customers. We started Woody Parker in large part because we were frustrated by the high price of glasses ourselves and wanted to create a much more customer-friendly alternative. 
As such, we will always focus on delivering great value and will leverage our structural advantage of controlling our supply chain while eliminating wholesale markups and licensing fees to pass savings on to our customers. We are excited that we're able to maintain our high growth margins and continue to improve our customer economics without resorting to sweeping price increases. As others in our category continue to raise prices, our value proposition will become even stronger over time, which we expect will lead to even greater sustainable competitive advantage. Of course, all of these positive results are due to the tireless efforts from our more than 3,000 team members who continue to be highly engaged. In a recent survey, 87% of employees said that they are proud to work for Warby Parker, and 88% said they would recommend Warby Parker as a great place to work. And we couldn't be prouder of how our team has managed through the multiple waves of the pandemic, especially the most recent Omicron outbreak. Omicron was particularly impactful given the unique seasonality in our business. Because of FSA spending and vision insurance utilization at year-end, we typically see our highest sales days of the year between Christmas and New Year's. This year, Omicron peaked during that same window in many of our biggest markets. As a result, we saw significantly lower retail foot traffic, staffing-related store closures, and fewer eye exams. We also saw many other retailers and optical shops close several or all of their stores for days or weeks at a time. This, in turn, led to fewer shoppers at neighboring stores, and importantly, fewer people getting eye exams preventing them from shopping with us. We believe Omicron resulted in nearly $5 million of lost sales in Q4 and over $15 million in Q1, stemming from fewer people shopping in our stores. What we've seen from prior COVID surges is that store traffic and productivity does not immediately bounce back, and most customers don't immediately switch to shopping online. To do so, our customers need valid prescriptions, and there's often a time lag for new exams to be scheduled. When the Delta variant emerged this summer, we saw a significant decline in store productivity relative to the same period in 2019, followed by a steady improvement for the following four months until Omicron appeared. The subsequent Omicron-related decline in retail productivity was nearly twice as severe as that from Delta. As a result, we estimate that our Q4 revenue growth of 18% was negatively impacted by about four points, and our Q1 began with major headwinds. This is a temporary setback. In the most recent weeks, we're experiencing a similar recovery curve to what we saw from other pandemic surges, and we remain as confident as ever in our long-term growth plans and a reacceleration of our growth in the coming months. While the pandemic has been disruptive to our business, it has been more disruptive to others in our category. This has enabled us to continue to grow our customer base and take material market share over the last two years. The U.S. eyewear market grew 5% from 2019 to 2021, while we grew 46%. And our differentiated omnichannel model is even more advantaged when consumers have easy access to eye doctors and prescriptions and feel fully comfortable shopping. As consumer behavior rebounds in our category, we believe we will benefit differentially as our 160-plus stores regain foot traffic and return to full productivity while we continue to serve customers through our unique and industry-leading digital tools and e-commerce platform. And with that, I'll pass it over to my co-CEO and co-founder, Neil, 
to talk through why we remain so excited for the rest of 2022 and beyond. Thanks, Dave, and good morning, everyone. We're as excited about our business and category as when we first started 12 years ago. As many of you know, our category is different from other consumer categories. Our core product eyewear is a combination of a health product and a fashion accessory. We have a unique responsibility to provide vision while amplifying one's identity and style. We are fortunate to operate in a large and growing market, $160 billion globally and $44 billion in the U.S. alone, and one that provides essential products and services that are purchased in both strong and weak economic environments. Several factors contribute to this growth and durability. First, most people need vision correction, with 76% of adults using some form of vision correction in 2021. Second, there's a natural replenishment cycle as prescriptions change or as people update their fashion preferences. Further, there are several macro factors contributing to rising vision correction needs and a steady influx of new customers who expect an exceptional vision care experience from an aging population and increased screen time usage to the acceleration of e-commerce penetration and increasing prominence of telehealth. These trends support expectations that the industry will continue to grow and continue to become more favorable to our omni-channel approach. This is obviously exciting for us at Warby Parker. Despite being one of the only optical retailers to grow in 2020 and then accelerate that growth to 37% in 2021, reaching $541 million in revenue, we still just represent 1% of the U.S. market. Another optical industry dynamic that makes it particularly appealing to our vertically integrated business model is that roughly 50% of the market is served by independent eye doctors and their optical shops that purchase frames and lenses wholesale and then resell them. The other half of the market is served by retail chains. And of that 50% of the market that are chain stores, roughly one-third is owned by one company. Customers come to Warby Parker often after spending significantly more on their glasses because they either bought them from an overpriced optical chain or an independent optometry practice. The other interesting dynamic of our industry is the prescription nature of the product. You need a valid prescription to buy glasses and contacts. Industry-wide, approximately 70% of people buy glasses and contacts in the same location they have an eye exam. This benefits us as we open up more stores with exam suites and optometrists. However, sales are negatively impacted when customers are not able to obtain prescriptions from us or their local optometrists due to Omicron or other variants. While the prescription dynamic protects incumbents by providing barriers to entry in normal times, it leads to a slower ramp up in other categories after a COVID surge. In spite of COVID, the eyewear market is poised to continue to grow faster than GDP with an outlook of a 5.3% CAGR from 2022 to 2025. If there's one phrase that you hear repeated in the offices of Warby Parker, it's sustainable growth. Our management philosophy is to drive predictable growth while expanding margins and delivering exceptional customer experiences to ensure future growth. Our long-term outlook remains the same. We plan to grow revenue consistently at 20% or more, maintain healthy growth margins of 58 to 60%, 
gain leverage and expand adjusted EBITDA margins 100 to 200 basis points per year to achieve 20 plus percent adjusted EBITDA margins. We also plan to continue to make appropriately sized investments in technology and in our team to ensure exceptional customer experiences that result in a net promoter score greater than 80. In 2022, we anticipate growth consistent with our philosophy of continued sustainable growth. We expect to grow top line 20 to 22% to 650 million to 660 million. Ahead of our direct listing in September, before the onset of Omicron, we provided a framework of 2022 net revenue growth of at least 25%. We arrived at our current range of 20 to 22% growth after taking into account the estimated $15 million impact from Omicron in Q1 and assuming our stores reach 90% of pre-pandemic levels in Q2 and full productivity in Q4 based on the recovery curves we observed from the onset of COVID and from the emergence of Delta. We expect our growth margin to remain consistent at 58 to 60%, and we anticipate that we will improve adjusted EBITDA 100 to 200 basis points. And of course, we expect to maintain a net promoter score at or above 80. We see tremendous opportunity in front of us, fueled by the natural tailwinds we have as a business having launched purely online, selling just single vision prescription glasses. We expect most of our 2022 growth to be driven by our retail channel as traffic and sales productivity rebound, particularly for our 63 urban locations whose productivity is currently 15 points lower than our suburban locations. We also plan to open 40 new stores in 2022 and end the year with 201 locations. Last year, we commissioned a third-party study that concluded our retail footprint has room to expand to over 900 retail locations in the U.S. while maintaining our best-in-class four-wall economics. This is still a fraction of the 41,000 optical shops that exist today. As we continue to expand our product and service offering, we believe this will also expand our store footprint opportunity. And of course, we'll continue to serve customers via our leading e-commerce channel using unique tools like our virtual try-on to make the shopping experience fun and convenient both online and offline. Having a flexible omni-channel model has enabled us to grow significantly faster than others in our category and will continue to be a structural competitive advantage going forward. On the product front, we expect our progressive penetration will continue to increase, driving top-line growth and gross margin expansion. Glasses with progressive lenses enable customers to see in the distance and up close. It's a product that is generally for customers 45 years and older. Our progressive glasses start at $295 versus our single vision product that starts at $95. In addition to the significantly higher ASP, Progressives have a higher growth margin. We continue to be highly underpenetrated versus the industry, with progressives making up approximately 45% of all prescription glasses sold in the U.S. today, while it's just 20% of our prescription business, up from 16% in 2020. We're particularly excited by the fact that today, progressive purchases tend to skew more towards bricks and mortar given the complex nature of the prescription and the older customer demographic. So as we scale our retail footprint and our stores return to full productivity, 
We expect to see compounding growth of this product. We expect that our eyewear ASP and growth margin will continue to expand thanks to our increased progressive penetration given the $200 price differential between our single vision glasses and our progressive glasses. We'll also continue to invest in our relatively new contact business, which doubled last year to 4% of our business and which we expect to grow at a similar pace in 2022. The contacts market alone is over $5.5 billion and contacts typically account for 15 to 20% of an optical retailer's sales. So we believe we have many years of high growth ahead of us. We'll also continue to invest in our eye exam and vision testing business. Like contact and progressive, we are underpenetrated in the eye exam market given our e-commerce beginnings. The eye exam market is over $6.5 billion. And while exams typically account for 10 to 15% of an optical retailer's sales, ours accounted for less than 2% of our sales in 2021. To drive growth, all 40 of our new 2022 stores will offer eye exams. We anticipate ending the year providing eye exams in 154 stores up from 107 in 2021. We'll also transition 40 existing stores in states where we cannot directly employ optometrists to a PC model. This will give us greater control over the customer experience and enable us to recognize the exam revenue. Lastly, we'll continue to lead the way in telehealth and expand the capabilities and awareness of our virtual vision test. Of course, we recognize businesses like ours are currently facing unique challenges, but we feel confident in our team's ability to navigate through them. Despite Apple's IDFA update and privacy changes, we have not experienced significantly higher customer acquisition costs. Several years ago, we made the strategic decision to limit our dependency on paid social media platforms by reducing spend to less than 5% of our total media budget and instead leverage our highly flexible marketing model through a diverse mix of online and offline marketing channels. Given our customer base generally skews more affluent, we did not detect an increase in sales last year because of the federal stimulus in March and are therefore not laughing a one-time bump. Regarding shipping, the majority of our customer shipments are made through carriers where we have a negotiated fixed price multi-year agreement in place that do not include fuel surcharges. As Dave mentioned, we expanded our manufacturing footprint in the U.S. by opening a second optical lab in Las Vegas last year. This enables us to make more glasses in-house, which leads to greater gross margins, higher quality, and faster delivery times. We've been able to hire the talent required to scale operations faster than planned. In fact, we continue to attract and retain great talent across the organization, from our manufacturing facilities, to our stores, to our corporate offices. This is thanks to our employer brand, which has only gotten stronger because of our actions during the pandemic to protect the health, safety, and financial well-being of our employees, as well as our do-good efforts. Our team takes immense pride in our recent milestone of distributing 10 million pairs of glasses to people in need. While these are extraordinary times, Team Orby is well-prepared and fully energized to continue along the path of sustainable growth. With that, I'll turn it over to Steve to talk about our results and provide color on our 2022 financial outlook. Thanks, Neil and Dave. Good morning, everyone. Jumping right in, 
Revenue for the full year of 2021 came in at $540.8 million, up 37% versus 2020 and up 46% versus 2019. We finished the year with 2.2 million active customers, an increase of 22% year over year. The power of our financial model stems from robust customer economics, which continue to strengthen. During the year, we grew average revenue per customer by 13% to $246. Additionally, our retention rates through 2021 continue to demonstrate the long-term relationship we're able to form with our customers, which we believe is unique in the optical industry. Despite navigating through continued uncertainty for most of the year, these results demonstrate the strength of our brand and underscore the opportunity ahead as we execute against our growth strategies. For the fourth quarter, revenue came in at $132.9 million, up 18% year-over-year and up 42% compared to Q4 2019. The onset of Omicron at the end of November has had a meaningful impact on our business given the unique seasonality aspects they've talked through. Given the importance of Q1 within the optical industry and to our business, let me take a moment to walk you through the trends we have seen since the start of the year. The disruption from Omicron in January was twofold. First, the softer end of December resulted in a lower revenue deferral than we've historically seen, in addition to the variant continuing to dampen traffic levels into January and February in our stores. We estimate the impact of Omicron at $5 million in top line for Q4 2021 and $15 million in top line for Q1 2022, most of which would yield lost business in the lead-up to the expiration of FSA dollars with the impact split across Q4 and Q1 and largely in December and January. Given the unique seasonality of optical purchases and customer FSA usage behavior, we do not expect to recapture the majority of these lost sales and have reflected this impact in our first quarter and full-year outlook. With regards to e-commerce performance in the fourth quarter, while we saw an increase in e-commerce demand over the last two weeks of December, it did not offset the decline we experienced in retail traffic trends. For our business, the shift between retail and e-commerce may not be as natural or immediate as it is for other categories such as apparel, given the need for valid prescriptions and varying consumer comfort levels around purchasing eyewear online for the first time. For the fourth quarter, e-commerce represented 41% of our overall business versus 56% in 2020 and 34% in 2019. For the full year, e-commerce penetration was 46% versus 60% in 2020 and 35% in 2019. E-commerce grew 96% during the fourth quarter of 2020. As such, Q4 2021 e-commerce is down 14%, but up 69% versus 2019, representing a two-year CAGR of 30%. For the full year, e-commerce grew 5% on top of 83% growth last year, representing a two-year CAGR of 39%. Before shifting gears to gross margin and SG&A, I wanted to reiterate some of the fourth quarter seasonality dynamics that I spoke with you about last quarter. Q4 is generally our lowest margin quarter given the revenue deferral and as we make several investments to support the important holiday selling season as well as the expiry of FSA benefits. These investments include marketing to support and generate customer demand, investments in shipping as we expedite orders to meet holiday timing, increasing store staffing to accommodate higher traffic and extended store hours, 
and increasing our customer experience staffing to support higher demand, as well as elevated call volume related to flexible spending benefit questions. So while we believe our long-term outlook will show consistent high growth and steadily improving profitability on an annual basis, as we saw in 2021, the quarter-to-quarter picture may fluctuate. We've also added to our earnings slides a historical view of revenue by quarter going back to 2016. As you can see, the revenue distribution is fairly equal across quarters in the same year, with a significant step up in sequential growth from Q4 to Q1. We expect this cycle to continue post-pandemic given the consistency we've seen in our business over many years prior. With that in mind, let's move on to gross margin. As a reminder, our gross margin is fully loaded and accounts for a range of costs, including frames, lenses, optical labs, customer shipping, eye doctors, store rent, and the depreciation of store buildouts. Our gross margin also includes stock-based compensation expense for our optometrists and optical lab employees. For comparability, I will be speaking to gross margin excluding stock-based compensation. Fourth quarter adjusted gross margin came in at 57.5% compared to 57.8% and 57.0% in 2020 and 2019, respectively. For the full year, Adjusted gross margin came in at 59.0% compared to 58.9% in 2020 and 60.2% in 2019. For the quarter, we had some unique costs and benefits impacting comparability as well as several operational puts and takes that I'll talk through. First, Q4 2020 benefited from a tariff rebate of approximately 70 basis points. Excluding this benefit, adjusted gross margin would have expanded. Next, the acceleration and penetration of our contact business as a percentage of the total was the primary driver of slight moderation in fourth quarter gross margin. As Neil mentioned, expanding our contact offering is a core part of scaling our holistic vision care offering and the key driver of increasing average revenue per customer. While contact lenses have a lower gross margin versus our other product offerings, they are accretive to gross margin dollars given the higher purchase frequency and subscription-like purchase cycle of this product. Additionally, we typically experience higher sales retention rates for customers that purchase contact given the ability to meet all of their eye care needs within the Warby Parker ecosystem. As we talked with you about last quarter, there was a moderate drag on gross margin as our second optical lab in Las Vegas rents to 100% operating capacity. We expect the lab to reach scale in the back half of 2022, which will allow us to more efficiently serve our West Coast customers, ultimately supporting leverage within gross margin. Lastly, we saw a benefit to gross margin from continued inventory and product strategy optimization, as well as the expansion of our higher margin progressives business. For the full year, 2020 gross margin benefited from a tariff rebate of approximately 40 basis points. Excluding this benefit in 2020, adjusted gross margin expansion would have been greater in 2021, primarily driven by leverage on retail occupancy as we lapped store closures last year, and leverage as we continue to scale our higher margin progressives business, partially offset by the acceleration and penetration of our contacts business during the year. Shifting gears to SGNA. SGNA for our business includes three main components. Salary expense for our headquarters, customer experience and retail employees, marketing spend, including our home try-on program, and general corporate overhead expenses. 
Adjusted fourth quarter FCNA came in at 89.4 million, or 67.3% as a percentage of net sales, in line with pre-pandemic spend levels as we make investments to support increased demand and deliver remarkable experience to our customers. The primary driver of the plan deleveraged during the quarter was increased media investment. As we spoke with you about in November, during the third quarter, we pulled back on marketing spend in response to the uncertainty presented by the Delta variant with the intention to strategically redeploy those dollars in the fourth quarter. When the Omicron variant emerged in late November, we made the strategic decision to continue to invest behind marketing given the learnings we gained after having navigated the first variant, as well as the importance of the December selling season to our business. At less than 15% unaided brand awareness, each annual FSA expiry season is a prime opportunity to introduce new customers to the brand and re-engage with existing customers. We want to be at the top of our customers' minds when purchase intent is potentially higher than in other seasons. For the full year, on an adjusted basis, SG&A came in at $316 million, or 58.4% as a percentage of net sales, an improvement of 3.2 points when compared to 2020, and about flat to 2019 as we realized leverage on both salaries and G&A, partially offset by investments in marketing. For the fourth quarter, adjusted EBITDA margin was negative 4.8%, in line with our guidance, driven by the investments I just spoke about, versus 0.9% last year and negative 5.4% in 2019. Given the fixed nature of the Q4 investments already described, we believe we would have realized a healthy flow through on the 5 million of lost sales in the quarter and adjusted EBITDA would have been higher. For the full year, adjusted EBITDA margin was 4.6% versus 1.9% last year and 5.9% in 2019, reflecting continued cost discipline and realizing leverage across SG&A categories. We finished the year with a strong balance sheet reflecting $256 million in cash, which will continue to deploy deliberately to support our growth and operations. Looking ahead, while consumers will likely continue to be impacted by near-term macro headwinds and global uncertainty, the optical industry is healthy and growing, and we remain confident in the long-term sustainable growth algorithm we communicated at our Investor Day in September. As it relates to the full year 2022, we are guiding to revenue between 650 and 660 million, which represents growth of approximately 20 to 22 percent. This outlook reflects the impact of an estimated 15 million of lost sales in the first quarter that I spoke about previously. While we do not plan to guide on a quarterly basis, given the disruption of Omicron to the start of the year and the corresponding impact to our full year 2022 guidance, we wanted to provide additional color. For Q1 2022, we're guiding to revenue between 153 to 154.5 million, which represents growth of 10 to 11% year over year. This represents sequential top line growth of approximately 17% from Q4 2021 to Q1 2022. As you can see in our slides pre-pandemic, we typically have seen sequential step-ups of 25% plus from Q4 to Q1 and would have expected a similar dynamic this year, if not for Omicron. Our four-year guidance assumes continued retail recovery, reaching approximately 90% of pre-pandemic levels in Q2 and full productivity by year end. 
For context, in 2019, our stores opened for 12 months or more, generated $2.6 million in revenue on average. While we remain optimistic we will ramp back to full productivity faster, we are maintaining a conservative stance as the timing and rate of recovery will continue to be impacted by changes in the COVID environment alongside some of the broader macro headwinds facing the consumer and the economy, both known and unknown. Our outlook also reflects our expectations for earlier timing of new store openings. Similar to 2021, we expect more than half of our openings to occur in the second and third quarters and underpins accelerated growth from Q2 forward. In line with the results delivered in 2021 and consistent with our long-term outlook for sustainable growth, we expect full year 2022 gross margin to be in the range of 58 to 60% and expect adjusted EBITDA margin improvement of one to two points, representing 5.6% to 6.6% adjusted EBITDA margin for full year 2022. We continue to expect sources of leverage to come from continued optimization of our retail and customer experience teams, a disciplined deployment of marketing spend and corporate overhead, with revenue growth outpacing SG&A spend. In summary, we are very excited about the growth in the business, the continued recovery of our stores post-COVID, and the opportunity in front of us. To quickly recap some of the highlights we want you to take away from today's call, first, our business grew significantly, expanded profitability, and gained share despite being materially impacted by Omicron given its timing during FSA season, as well as its disruption of customers' ability to obtain eye exams and new prescriptions. Second, our business is not significantly impacted by increased shipping costs, labor shortages, Apple's privacy updates, or lapping stimulus. Third, our business benefits from the reopening currently underway as our retail productivity and our channel mix normalize. Fourth, our enthusiasm and energy for the success of our customers, our shareholders, our co-workers, and the communities we serve has never been higher, and we're excited for the year ahead. With that, Neil, Dave, and I are excited to take your questions. Operator, please open the line for Q&A. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you wish to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure that your line is unmuted locally. And our first question comes from Mark Altschweiler from BERT. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my, my questions here. Um, I guess to start off, I was hoping you could give us a, a bit of an update on how you're thinking about the competitive backdrop and maybe more specifically competition at the, the lower end amid some of the increasing inflationary pressures on, on the consumers. Um, and then, you know, related there, you talked a lot about the opportunities on the progressive front. Can you remind us how Warby's price point on progressives compares to, to the competition and, and how does your, your, do you have that same pricing gap that you see with the single vision line, single vision classes. Thank you. Thanks so much for your question. And first, uh, as you mentioned, our progressive glasses uh, start at $295, which is a $200 step up from our single vision product at $95. When we priced this product, the intent was to provide the same 
a level of exceptional value. Um, so we frequently see um, customers per spending $800 to $1,000 or more on a pair of progressives, and then they come and from us are able to get glasses still at a fraction of what they would typically cost. Um, similarly, in the competitive dynamic, we still find that our com customers tend to skew more affluent and are coming to us from uh, high-end optical shops, from optometric practices. Um, we have not seen significant competitive pressure um, from the lower end of the market. We think in this inflationary environment, our pricing power just becomes more and more competitive and compelling to our customers. That's great. Thank you. Um, quick follow-up for, for Steve. Um, if you could just give us a little bit more color on the bridge between the prior 25% plus outlook and the current 20 to 23, um, yeah, even adjusting for the Omicron disruption, the 15 million, you know, the midpoint, maybe a couple points below the prior outlook. Um, can, if you could give us a little bit more detail there, that would be great. Thanks again. Sure. Thanks for the questions, Mark. And just on the last part of your question on our progressive pricing versus the competition, so if our average price is 295 for a similarly quality progressive frame and lens, you're talking anywhere from $600 to $1,200 depending on the retailer. So we believe that there still continues to be a, a tremendous pricing advantage that we offer uh, based on uh, the specific quality of our lens type and uh, frame. In terms of the question uh, regarding the full guide for 2022, so uh, we attribute roughly $15 million of lost business in Q1 to Omicron, which accounts for roughly three full points of growth, which gets you from our 25% guide down to 22. We've also uh, modeled in some conservative assumptions as it relates to the recovery of our stores to 100% productivity. And so uh, that would account for the incremental two points of flexibility that we've built in our model. There's still a level of uncertainty in the environment, and uh, although we're all optimistic that we're through the COVID era, it is not officially done yet. And while our stores are on their path to recovery, and we're optimistic they will get back to 100% uh, before year end and 90% in uh, Q2, we wanted to build in a level of conservatism just that we think is prudent. Great. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you very much for your question. Our next question comes from Kimberly Greenberger from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Good morning. Dave, I just wanted to follow up on your um, answer to Mark, uh, Mark's question there. Uh, if we could just start there. Uh, on the recovery in your urban store productivity, um, I'm wondering if you can um, help us understand if, first of all, the suburban stores have improved uh, their productivity back to 2019 levels. In other words, have you seen, you know, post the original onset of COVID in, in the spring of 2020, have you seen your suburban stores um, retrace back and, and recover to full productivity? And then on the urban for uh, recovery embedded in your revenue guidance for 2022, are you assuming that office workers 
um, go back to their in-office habits of 2019 in order to get you back to that um, pre-pandemic level of productivity in your urban stores. Thanks, Kimberly. Kimberly, this is Neil. Um, so our suburban stores have not yet reached full productivity. Um, and again, our urban stores are more than 15 points below that. Um, we are assuming sort of what we're seeing in our own business, which is we're calling back our New York headquarters um, starting April 5th. And we're also returning to the office mandatory three out of five days a, a week. So, you know, we are assuming uh, a ramp to full productivity, but not necessarily um, full traffic to pre-pandemic levels. And part of our increases in productivity um, continue to be driven by increased progressive penetration, um, high exams, contact sales. Uh, our urban stores have been impaired, uh, not just because of reduced office worker traffic, but in uh, many neighborhoods, reduced tourism as well that we anticipate will, will rebound. Um, so we do in, anticipate that the urban stores will return to full productivity um, at a slightly slower pace than uh, our suburban locations. Okay, great, Neil. That's great color. Thank you so much. And I just want to just um, step back for a second and talk about um, the strategies that you might have in place either in 2022 or 2023 to enhance the Warby Parker proposition to consumers who have vision insurance. You know, any sort of incremental strategies or new ways of, of really tackling that insured market. Thank you. Sure. Uh, thanks for the question, Kimberly. Uh, we believe insurance remains a massive opportunity for us, and um, within that, um, really uh, think of it as three three distinct opportunities. So the first is expanding our in-network uh, relationships. We're currently in-network with United Healthcare, which covers roughly 20 million lives, um, as well as being uh, offering in-network benefits to large employers like GE and Boeing and. Um, you'll see us continue to deepen relationships like this, and, and we'll have more um, news to share on, on that front later this year. Uh, the, the second um, category within the world of insurance is building awareness about out-of-network benefits. Um, and uh, we did a recent survey of a couple thousand consumers and found that uh, industry-wide, um, most consumers are spending $130 out-of-pocket when they use their in-network benefits. Uh, but if those same uh, uh, consumers came to Warby Parker, uh, they would have they would spend zero dollars out of pocket uh, to purchase single vision glasses. And um, we uh, believe that there is a, a massive opportunity here to create education, uh, both online and in our stores, around um, how consumers can use those out of network benefits uh, to to pay even less at Warby Parker. And then uh, the third is. Um, really rethinking um, uh, vision insurance and, and continuing to, to innovate um, as we have in other parts of the industry. Um, and um, all the aspects of um, our expansion into a holistic vision care provider, 
um, continuing to open uh, exam rooms throughout the country, continuing to hire optometrists, uh, investing in telehealth, expanding our contacts business, um, all create the foundation that uh, we believe will enable us uh, to create more innovation in the category um, uh, over, over a longer time period. Thank you so much. That's very clear. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Paul Lehuez from Citigroup. Please go ahead, your line is open. Uh, hey, thanks guys. Um, curious if you could talk about the drivers of your sales assumption for F22, just in terms of active customer growth versus spend per average customer. And then also uh, curious about any bottlenecks that you're running into getting stores open on the construction front or staffing front. And then last, just the number of stores that you're growing in new markets versus existing markets in 22. Thanks, guys. Cool. Uh, thanks for the question, Paul. I'll answer uh, the first part of the question and then uh, turn it over to Neil. In terms of sales drivers uh, and assumptions around active customer growth, one of um, the nice consistent uh, aspects of our financial model really has been the consistency around which we've grown active customers, uh, really in the 22% uh, zone, so call it the low 20s. Uh, and coupled with that, we've seen uh, our, ability, our ability to increase average revenue per customer on a consistent basis. We talked about how that's up 13 year over year to $246. And so uh, we believe that we will continue to be able to deliver active customer growth in a very consistent way in line with how we have done that. Uh, and we also believe that we'll continue to drive increases in average revenue per customer, maybe not as high as 13%, uh, but certainly uh, consistent with how we've done so in the past. Uh, from a, a demand generation perspective, there are a few factors to keep in mind. Um, that really underpin our ability to acquire customers. So one is opening up new stores. We plan to open up 40 new stores this year. 25 of them are in Q2 and Q3, um, which really underpin uh, our accelerating growth targets over the course of the year. And we plan to continue to deploy very disciplined marketing spend. We're very conscious of the equation between revenue growth and CAC, uh, and similar to this year and previous years, we want to make sure that our revenue growth is growing appreciably faster than CAC, and so ultimately we're increasing contribution profit and contribution margin on a, on a per-customer basis. So those are some of the uh, factors and drivers that go into uh, our customer acquisition model. And, and Paul, this is Neil. Um, we are not seeing any bottlenecks or an inability to, for us to complete construction and maintain sort of our store opening timelines. Um, and these new stores are performing in line with expectations and in line with first year performance of the stores that we launched pre-COVID. So trending towards our targeted 20-month paybacks and our 35% four-wall EBITDA. Um, the other thing is in 2021, we opened nine stores in, in new markets uh, out of 35 stores that, that we opened, and we plan to sort of continue to open up in new markets in sort of a similar proportion. Yeah, the, the rough split this year, Paul, is uh, of the 30 markets we're opening in, 25 will be existing markets and five will be new markets. 
So uh, as Neil indicated, very similar to the split uh, as to last year, but with this year indexing a little bit more towards existing. Got it. Thank you, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Brooke Roach from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you so much for taking our question. Neil, Dave, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your plans for Warby's brand awareness campaigns and marketing strategy to drive that new customer growth into 2022 and beyond. Are there any insights that you can share on the marketing efficiency that you're seeing and any noticeable differences between uh, existing markets or new uh, markets for the brand? Sure. This is uh, Neil. I'll, I'll start. Um, first, we should probably just talk a little bit about our, our marketing efficiency. Um, and we know that a lot of companies are seeing challenges because of the IDFA changes. Um, we have not, and that's because we made a very deliberate decision several years ago to reduce our dependency on uh, social media platforms, and it now represents less than 5% of our, our media spend. Um, we did see CAC in Q4 um, was uh, elevated due to increased spend, really in anticipation of our peak sales season, um, and uh, we believe that CAC was indeed impacted by the decrease in sales due to Omicron. Um, that being said, sort of we believe the fundamentals related to our customer acquisition model remain strong. Um, avenue, average revenue is growing faster than CAC. Um, also, increased retail productivity tends to benefit um, our CAC that stores our marketing vehicles, and we tend to see a higher percentage of new customers in our stores vis-a-vis -vis our e-commerce channel. Um, and one of the ways that we raise the awareness is by opening these stores and making them super beautiful. Um, and this week, we're uh, opening up a, a store in Hyde Park Village in, in Tampa. Um, it's our second location in, in Tampa. Um, I'm sorry, our third location in Tampa. And it's uh, just stunning. The exterior um, is uh, already sort of generating, I think, a, a lot of attention in that community. Um, so you'll continue to see a, a good mix of performance and, and brand marketing um, that, you know, enables our customers to fall in love with us and, of course, just know that we exist. And I would just add that uh, from a, a marketing standpoint, we've never been overly dependent on paid marketing. Um, our, our customers have been and, and remain our best marketing channel and, um, and we're excited to maintain our industry-leading net promoter score. And, um, uh, and to this day, the majority of our customers continue to learn about us through word of mouth, and, um, and we expect that to continue to be the case. Thank you. And if I could just ask one quick follow-up to some of the prior questions regarding the Omicron impact. Um, thanks for all of the color that you've provided so far. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the signals that you're seeing in the business, maybe in the suburban stores versus the urban stores, that give you confidence that the lower store productivity that you're seeing through the end of February is truly a function of just Omicron relative to maybe a more challenging consumer backdrop given the inflationary pressures on the consumer's wallet. Thank you. One of the things that we continue to see is increased 
sort of conversion in, in our stores and again increase um, or sort of stable net promoter score um, and we're not seeing um, sort of any concern or hearing from our, our customers um, necessarily about uh, pricing. If anything, we're hearing sort of reinforcement um, around sort of the, the value that we continue to, to provide. This is also, um, we've now lived through multiple waves of the pandemic and we've seen similar patterns where um, when there are COVID outbreaks in a certain geography, there's an immediate drop in retail traffic. Um, and then because of the prescription nature of our product, um, there's not an immediate bounce back like you might see in some other uh, consumer categories. And so we have seen um, multi-month uh, recovery curves and um, we're, we're seeing consistent patterns um, coming out of Omicron that give us confidence that um, store productivity will continue to, to increase. And just adding to that with um, uh, some of the numbers that we shared in our investor slides uh, where we uh, shine a spotlight on the recovery curve at the onset of Omicron. I think one of the interesting things uh, we've all seen from Omicron is how uh, quickly the impact occurred. And you can see that um, our stores uh, at the beginning of December were at 90% of productivity and pretty quickly dropped to 75% by year end. And they've rebound, rebounded now rather rapidly to the mid-80s. And as we project our recovery curve over the course of the year, and as a reminder, we believe that our stores will be at 90% by Q2, 100% by the full year. That is informed by how our stores have rebounded and recovered through the various um, timeframes of the pandemic, the original onset of COVID, the onset of Delta, uh, and now the onset of Omicron and the recovery through it. Thanks very much. I'll pass it on. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Oliver Chen from Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, regarding holistic vision care, would love your thoughts on the virtual vision testing telehealth app ahead and key catalysts there and how the customer profile looks as well as the technology roadmap. And then as we um, think more near term, uh, with FSA and some changes in FSA in terms of the legislation, um, what should we be monitoring uh, and how that may impact your business and what's embedded in guidance? And you also mentioned uh, macro factors, which are uh, many of them are out of your control, but was curious about which ones are most sensitive to store traffic and other uh, factors. Thank you. It's, uh, thanks, Oliver, for the, the questions. Um, I'll start with uh, uh, the, the telehealth one. Um, so uh, we remain uh, incredibly excited about the prospect of telehealth, uh, making it easier, faster, cheaper for um, uh, our customers and patients to uh, renew prescriptions and get new prescriptions. And uh, we believe that we're uniquely positioned uh, to uh, bring some of this technology to, to market. Um, and uh, we're seeing very positive results from our virtual vision test. Um, it's still uh, a new product. We introduced it a few months ago, but are um, uh, getting incredible feedback from uh, customers who use it. Um, uh, to renew their prescriptions in, in just a few minutes for um, classes and contacts uh, from home. And uh, you'll see us this year 
introduce uh, new capabilities and new features that uh, will make it uh, even easier for us to prescribe uh, additional uh, products and, and um, extend the reach of our, of our eye doctors. Um, we also um, are excited about the potential of using other forms of uh, telehealth, uh, including in our stores, um, and continuing to invest in, in technology that um, uh, make it easier for our eye doctors to serve more patients um, and, and drive efficiency in, in that part of our business. I think from an FSA perspective, um, sort of we welcome legislation uh, that makes the use of those funds more flexible. Uh, that being said, we found that customers tend to be uh, pretty uninformed um, on changing legislation or even um, if their expiration date is not December 31st, um, there's just a perception of, of that. So um, while these changes may immediately take effect, we think that it will take several years for it to significantly influence uh, customer behavior. Um, is almost a similar dynamic with even vision insurance where, you know, many uh, customers um, don't fully understand how their vision insurance works and the fact that it doesn't protect against catastrophic risk um, and that's effectively a, a prepayment plan, often with a, a high deductible. Um, so um, the FSA changes may impact some seasonality in years ahead, um, but we don't expect it to, to significantly impact sort of uh, our plans this year. Okay, thank you. And on the macro side, just would love your take. And lastly, um, hopefully the, there's no really scale new variants, but there's always news about things happening. As you think longer term, are there ways to future-proof your business with respect to, to this dynamic? Um, would love your thoughts as you evaluate long-term strategy. Thank you. Thanks. You know, one of the things that we did see in our business as uh, traffic declined in our stores, conversion increased significantly. Um, so as we think about retail productivity in our plans, um, in 22 in, in particular, um, we feel like we don't need to model to get back to 100% uh, or even higher uh, traffic in order to reach um, full productivity and uh, achieve our, our plans. Uh, we think the macro environment um, tends to impact other categories more. Uh, than the optical industry. Historically, the optical industry grows at a rate um, uh, higher than, than GDP. Um, on the same token, decreased traffic to neighboring stores, right, increases traffic in, in, into our stores. So that's something that we'll com continue to monitor. You know, I think that we, when it comes to the variant and managing through the pandemic, um, we were an early mover. Um, and implemented health and safety protocols quickly um, that earned us goodwill with our customers and our employees, and we continue to benefit uh, from that today in our ability to recruit and retain uh, top talent, you know, and that's seen um, in our employee engagement scores. It's seen in our turnover rates. I think all businesses saw um, lower than usual 
turn employee turnover in 2020 and then uh, elevated in 2021. Um, ours was relatively stable, um, so we feel uh, really great about that, and we continue to be just a preferred employer because of our culture, because of our social innovation. And also, the, just the digital capabilities that we have that are um, unique to um, our business uh, in, in our category will continue to um, ensure that we have flexibility to serve customers um, regardless of um, kind of what, what happens um, uh, in terms of future variants or, or other surprises and, um, um, and has enabled us to continue to take meaningful market share throughout the course of the pandemic. It enabled us to serve customers um, when we had to close all of our stores. Uh, and so um, kind of the, uh, the omni-channel model that we have in, in those investments um, will um, continue to uh, um, ensure that um, we are uh, better positioned to serve customers regardless of um, kind of unexpected uh, events that may pop up. Very helpful. Thank you, Buster Birds. Thank you so much. And our final question for today comes from Mark Mahoney from Avacor. Please go ahead. Thanks. You mentioned the 40 new stores you're rolling out this year are all going to have um, ICANN capability. Could you just remind us um, how many of your existing stores have that and what the difference is in the productivity of the stores that have ICANN capability versus those that don't? And if it's a large gap, do, uh, the possibility or the, how uh, um, appealing uh, feasible the idea of retrofitting all stores to have that is. Thank you. Sure. Uh, hi, Mark. Thanks for the question. Approximately 107 of our stores today have iExam capabilities. Roughly um, 40 of those we refer to as employed ODs, where we employ the doctor uh, and recognize the revenue from the doctor. Uh, we've got another 60 or so independent ODs where we lease the doctor a small amount of space, typically adjacent to our store. Uh, we do not recognize the revenue from those eye exams, but we're optimistic, although we can't track it, that the customer uh, gets an exam and then places an order in our store. Uh, as a reminder, roughly 70% of all prescription eyewear is purchased at the same place where an individual gets an eye exam. Uh, that number uh, is higher for our stores, so we're optimistic as we continue to roll out eye exam capabilities everywhere, um, there'll be an elevated conversion rate where we're benefiting not just from the eye exam revenue, but from a conversion of that uh, exam into a sale. And roughly just 2% of our business today, as a reminder, comes from the sale of eye exams. Uh, the PC model that Neil talked about on his prepared remarks, uh, we're planning to roll out a, a, roughly a, a, another um, 30 to 40 PC model stores this year. And that will enable us in a market where we needed to partner with an independent OD. We'll be able to, for all intents and purposes, uh, have an employer-like relationship with that OD and recognize the revenue from those eye exams and have a bit more control over the customer experience. In terms of the incremental costs um, to add uh, an eye doctor, the eye doctor, him or herself, uh, more than pays for him or herself 
by virtue of the fact that we sell eye exams and our eye appointment slots are, are generally booked. We tend to book in 20-minute increments versus 10-minute increments. So uh, we do believe that that uh, in and of itself is a factor that makes our work environment a bit more pleasant and manageable for an eye doctor at a Warby store versus at a competitor store. Uh, the cost to build out the space uh, is negligible. It's well south of $100,000 and accounts for approximately 200 to 250 square feet. Stores with eye doctors generate moderately more revenue than stores without um, for the understandable reason. Uh, in terms of payback, we've seen very consistent paybacks for our stores uh, at 20 months or below, and that also applies to stores where we add this eye doctor capability. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. And this brings us to the end of our Q&A session today. I'd now like to pass the call back over to Neil for any final remarks. Great. Thank you all for your great questions today. Dave, Steve, and I are so proud of what we and the team have accomplished in 2021, and we're incredibly excited for the months and years ahead. Um, if you have any additional questions or follow-ups, please feel free to reach out to Tina or our investor relations inbox at investors at warbyparker.com, and we look forward to chatting with you all again in May. Thank you. Everyone else has left the call. Thank you, everybody, for joining today's call. You may now disconnect your lines.